Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. What's up, everybody? This is Kyle Newbeck, back with you for another episode of The New Slant. This week, our podcast being brought to you by the good folks at Untuck It, so shout out to them for keeping our lights on. With me, as always, my buddy, my pal, the only guy who has, is as bewildered about the Sixers roster construction as I am, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you doing? Doing okay. Getting ready for the big Eagles game this afternoon, if you're listening to this, likely on Monday. Uh, tonight's today's pod is going to be entertaining, but I can't help but think how outrageous the podcast would have been if we recorded, you know, late Wednesday afternoon, early Wednesday evening after yeah. that Christmas Day monster performance. Timing is very clearly Everything. our thing. We uh, we are very good at making sure that we exclusively record podcasts at the worst possible times, at least in terms of the the tenor of the podcast. Certainly, there's plenty to discuss after. Uh, a back-to-back the Sixers lost both games in and following the Sixers Christmas Day loss um, and I guess the what's jumping out to me this morning Seamus is just this simple question right like who are the real Sixers are they the team that went out and just smoked the Bucks on Christmas Day and put on a show for all of not just America but I guess the world all the people watching the NBA around the world on on Wednesday, or are they the team that immediately followed that up with a brutal loss to Orlando and an even more spectacular loss to Miami on Saturday night? I think they're closer to the team that demolished Milwaukee, to be honest with you. I think they believe that they're a switch flipper team, and that's a different discussion where I don't think they've reserved the right to be switch flippers. They're not the 2014 Heat going to the finals for the fourth straight time, and LeBron and D-Wade and Chris Bosh are conserving energy. They're not a team like that. They're not the Latter-day Spurs with Tim Duncan where the motive was just to the playoffs and let things go from there, dress their guys up in the regular season. I don't think they've reserved the right to be a team that can only play when they kind of want to. Uh, I will say that clearly the strength of this team is in its defense, and playing elite defense every single night is infinitely more taxing than playing elite offense every night so it's kind of impossible for them to be at full strength in terms of the swarming defensive presence they, they can be you know for a random Friday night in Orlando than it can be you know the game of the year Christmas afternoon game against ostensibly the best team in the NBA and the reigning MVP yeah I don't know it's probably not as simple as their one version or the other it's somewhere in between but I as usual am probably going to skew more negative here just because you know I look at games like the the heat loss and the Orlando loss which we can go into more depth with each of those at some point and I just see a team that doesn't really make a lot of sense except for in specific matchups like on Christmas, having Al Horford is great because the Bucks are built around Giannis Antetokounmpo. And once you send Joel Embiid to the bench, you just leave Horford in and say, okay, that's we are covered with great defense on Giannis for 48 minutes. And against this specific team, we can go a long way toward shutting them down. Now against like every other team in the league, for the most part, the value is just not there. Like I, I wrote this in my recap of the Heat game. 
You look at Horford on an average night, he's like the second or third best post-up player in the starting lineup and is never going to get opportunities to actually attack the mismatches he's going to get. He's not been a good shooter this year. He's not going to have a lot of opportunities to use the passing ability that makes him stand out compared to other bigs on the offensive end. He can't really dribble. like He has a functional handle, but it's not, wow, Al Horford's going to break guys down off the dribble except a straight line drive out of pump fakes and it did like nothing about this team really makes sense a lot of the time and uh, like uh, people always want to go to energy and no they didn't try hard I don't I don't think that was the issue in either of the Orlando or Miami games I thought defensively against Orlando they were actually pretty good despite the fact that they couldn't hit water from a boat in that game. I thought against Miami, Ben Simmons had a, a great game guarding Jimmy Butler. I thought they they competed hard enough there. It's the fact that they will kick Joel Embiid gets double teamed and he throws a pass out to the perimeter and guys just brick open threes. Like they don't have guys that are reliable above average or elite shooters like you're relying on guys like Mike Scott career role player James Ennis career role player Al Horford who has made threes in the past but doesn't necessarily you know, a marksman. be the guy yeah he's we had this discussion before the season and it was something I brought up as early as like as soon as they made the Horford signing who is the guy that anybody fears it's certainly not Tobias Harris he has his swings back and forth on the shooting pendulum, but I don't think that's a guy that teams are like, oh man, we just, we're never going to be able to leave him open because if they did, teams would defend the Sixers differently. So, I mean, the outlier shooting performance on Christmas aside, I just, I don't know, man. There are a lot of warning signs for me with the way this team looks. And I think it's a lot more, there's a lot more to it than just saying they're a switch flipping team. I agree with you that they got to, another level on Christmas and some of this is effort related at times but this weekend I don't think that was the case and I think games like that against a team like Miami that they might see in the playoffs should give people some pause well I will say when you talked about the effort the previous two nights meaning the Friday night game Orlando and Saturday in Miami I think I agree with Brett Brown in the sense of they were missing some physicality against Orlando. I think they should have done better on the glass than they did. Uh, Saturday was... Friday night was one of those games. Again, I'm always the fan perspective. Kyle is the objective journalist. Where Saturday in Miami was more so... I'm not even mad. I'm laughing. That kind of argument in anger. <laughs> where the game was so weird and all over the place. And both teams made baffling decisions. Uh, I mean, I have in my phone a few moves that the Sixers made that were just hair-pulling moves. Uh, but ultimately, that was a really entertaining game, and they played a pretty good team on the road, second half of back-to-back. I know Miami was also in the second half of back-to-back, but they were home at least. It was an overtime. That's just one of those games where you're like, hey, they played a really good team on the road. Stuff happens. That's fine. Uh, the, the Orlando game is one that's infuriating because those should be wins. You're going to have to lose some games to Miami. You're going to have to lose some games to Indiana. You're going to have to lose some games to Boston. You should be taking care of the Orlando games. And when it comes down to... April and they are the fourth seed and they are you know a game behind Miami for the third seed that's when it's going to be an issue and that's when you're going to be mad about the Orlando losses where they kind of are aloof throughout the game as opposed to those tough as nail losses in overtime in Miami 
So conceptually, I don't disagree with you. I think the the only reason that I take issue with that approach to the losses that they had this weekend is that the Miami game, the way they lost that is just it was an eminently winnable game that they threw away themselves. Oh, I think, oh, I, th- I oh, think sure. the problem with Orlando is just, look, you didn't make shots and there are going to be games like that. I know no fan wants to sit there and watch them lose to a team like the Orlando magic, but it, it's a long NBA season and guys go through swoons and what have you. And so I, I'm not going to sit there and say, wow, I, I'm going to, there's a lot to critique them for because they just couldn't make open shots or they didn't finish well around the basket. That's like, there's not a lot of nits to pick there. When you show me the end of that Miami game and Joel Embiid looks like he's never been in a late game situation before when Tobias Harris tries to dunk over two guys, Jesus Christ, instead of trying to run the clock out and pass the ball around the perimeter. They only, the only reason Embiid was in a position to, I have a few that ball plays over. written down that were just the most. I have in my, a note in my phone. Joe, what the fuck plays? W2F. <laughs> it's the strip where he's getting triple teamed. And I don't know if he's waiting for someone to come closer, if he's waiting for a foul that's never going to come. That's just a low IQ play. And the play that I even think was worse than that was an overtime where there was a second and a half left on the shot clock. And he tried to beat Tracy McGrady in the All Star game and throw the ball off the backboard to himself without realizing the ball needs to hit the rim for the shot clock to be reset. And then late in over, I don't know if it's late in the fourth quarter, late in overtime, he was one-on-one with Bam defensively, and there was no one around him on the post, and he got bullied by Bam. That ended up being either the go-ahead or the game-tying basket that prevented them to win. And I just thought that on a one-on-one situation, Bam has had a great season. Bam, in my eyes, is probably an all-star this year, but there's no way in hell that he should be able to body Joe one-on-one on the post like that. Yeah, I that one I think is more about he didn't want to pick up a foul, but at the same time he got to win the game. Let him, yeah, he can't let him go through him there. I I have a much bigger issue with the turnover when they're they were in the lead end of the fourth. What well, Tobias? What the hell? When is he doesn't ever want to dunk, and now he wants to be LeBron James trying to murder Draymond Green in Game Seven of the 2016 Finals? What are you doing, pal? He tried to dunk over two guys, just run the clock out. He's probably shoots what. 86 85 percent from the line you would think he's in the 80s right yeah he's a he's a good he's, free a, he's a very good free throw so then it's like what are you doing tobes that so but joel sitting there and dude i had all these people come at me on twitter on saturday night because they i guess i am like the brett brown guy even though i i just wrote a thing where i highlighted all his flaws and the timeout the timeout was infuriating that's like well, the worst move he's ever made as a coach well, so, but people wanted him to call a timeout when Joel had the ball there. It's like, dude, the whole point of end game offense is you get the ball in and you put it in the hands of somebody that you want shooting free throws because you're waiting for the foul. You wanted Tobias to shoot a long two that he airballed. I mean, there were seven shot seconds on the shot clock. He shot that with five. It was an immediate long two. That's the play that it was devised. It was clearly getting Tobias the ball. I don't know if Tobias is supposed to pop a three real quick. He's supposed to take it in the lane. If that's on Brett, if that's on Tobias. But he pulled up from a long two, and he completely airballed it. Oh, it you're just like, arguing two different things to me. I'm specifically talking about... Are we talking about a different play? I'm talking about Joel Embiid when he got triple teamed and turned the ball over. There were people who said, why didn't Brown call a timeout? That's fine. I'm, not, I'm fine with not calling a timeout. Though. It's like, dude, yeah. you are up two yeah. points at don't, the end of a game with the ball in your 
a guy who shot like 90% from the free throw yeah. line last night and your best player's hands. It's the exact situation you want to find yourself in. Joe wants to shoot those the, free and, throws. Exactly. It's where you want to find yourself at the end of regulation. What are you going to do? Call timeout so they have to throw an inbounds pass again and then I find agree. yourself in the same exact situation? Totally. That's it. He's supposed to be your franchise player. And maybe that's a, that shows the limitation of you're built around a franchise center you still need to have guard play and guards on the floor who can handle the ball and run down the clock in those situations. And the Sixers have Ben Simmons who has to like hide from the ball in those situations, which is a real problem. The fact that last night they had to sit there and play Trey Burke for like the final, I don't know, let's say 10 to 11 minutes of the game outside of a few different possessions is just absolutely ridiculous. And it so circling back to – to Al Horford a little bit. I can't like we're sitting here and against a team like Miami or Orlando that those are not Miami's been good this year, but I don't think they're like they're not certainly not as talented as the Sixers. Orlando no. not even in the same ballpark. And Al Horford is basically irrelevant and in fact he was worse than irrelevant against Miami. He was getting played off the floor every minute he was on the floor. There are so many matchups where that guy just doesn't serve any purpose to the Sixers except to be a backup center and space the floor a little bit for Ben Simmons who's not exactly taking great use of, of that space that he's getting so I I don't know man this it's a frustrating weekend because I think it's just a symptom of all the problems that you believe they have and they just don't go away there's never just there's never a moment with this team where they get a big win over a good team and then they turn the corner and they start stopping teams or they just start stringing wings, wins together. It's always, we know that the letdown is coming. We know that this bullshit loss to some bad team is going to happen. And the fact that you and I can sit there from two different perspectives on the team and say, oh, yeah, they're definitely losing that Orlando game on Friday is just, it's an indictment on on so many different levels. Can we talk about Trey Burke real quick? Uh, yeah, we could talk about Trey Burke. I thought we were going to save that for later. Okay, that's focus fine. On, like, do we do the Al and the last night's game first? Yeah, we can. Like, so Al Horford, where are you at with him in general at this point, Shaman? I think we were talking about it last night. If you were saying, what's your panic level in terms of this contract and his role in the team in the next four years being a disaster? On a scale of one to ten, I'm about an, I'm an eight, where an eight is. I know it's a disaster and no one else does. Nine is a lot of people know it's a disaster and 10, everybody knows it's a disaster. Yeah. So I don't know that I can go that far yet, but. And I was hyped about Al. He played great on defense on Milwaukee on Christmas day. And it's like one of those things where, Hey, you're building your roster around having to beat the bucks in May. So I get that he could be a factor there, but are you supposed to pay that guy $30 million when he's 34, 35, 36 years old just for having to hopefully play him against a play, in a playoff series? Well, and so here is sort of my issue with the entire roster construction. And this was true before Al got here. It remains true now. You basically have one real option to try to beat teams, and that's to try to beat the crap out of them physically because you can't with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on the team, you can't cater to either guy's strength all the time. Like, it's just not a thing that you can do. And so they tried to split the difference. They say, okay, we'll play bully ball with the Embiid-Horford front court. When Embiid hits the bench, Al allows us to run more pick and pop. He can run a little bit with Ben. 
And then the bench unit is basically just going to be Joel Embiid posts up and we have a bunch of shooters around him. And that's all well and good, but that ends up leading to a roster situation where the only guys that really make sense in both of those contexts are like unitasker type players like Mike Scott. That they got to get away from gonna, unitaskers. They're just going to stand in the corner and take and maybe make threes. They certainly haven't been lately. And so like when Al Horford is the big signing, it's amplifying all those problems. You don't have counters and different styles that you can play. Theoretically, Ben Simmons' presence on this team means you should be able to do a bunch of different stuff, right? Like he's a 6'10 guy that has skills of several different archetypes of players. But unfortunately, the weaknesses that he has means that you have to build a perfect team to get the most out of him. And Al Horford has complicated the starting lineup, which has been one of the the few areas where the Sixers have, have killed in, in years past is they've just had killer starting fives because they spread the floor around Joe and Ben, and, and that just sort of works. And I don't know how you make this work with Horford closing out games. And I think what we saw in well, Miami he, yeah, is he wasn't that even they put there. Trey Burke on the floor – and even though I don't think Trey Burke is especially good, he had a good game on Saturday night. Just the fact that you have a guy who can dribble and break a zone defense and, and play some pick and roll with Joel and have Ben play off the ball as like a lob target power forward type, and they that shows you the problem with the roster construction right there. I think that I don't think people need to come away from that game and say we need more Trey Burke. Trey Burke played great. and He kept them in that game and brought them back a bit. But I think it just highlights the need for a guy who's a little bit better than Trade Burke. They need a better version of Trade Burke. They need to acquire a guy like that. They need a guy who can, when things are static, when things aren't going well, when they need to break a zone that teams are playing against the Sixers over and over again, whether it be next month or April or May or even June potentially, they need a guy who can do dribble drive and they need a guy who can play off Ben. I think that lineup versatility is huge. And I think they'd benefit from a lot of lineups where they have a traditional point guard playing alongside Ben. They've tried it in the past years with TJ McConnell with, you know, not the greatest level of success. But I think there is something to having Ben play off the ball at times. They need a guy who's Trey Burke, but better. Trey had a great game, but Trey is not going to be that guy in April and May against Miami consistently, against Boston consistently, against Milwaukee consistently. All right, well, let's leave it there for one quick second. We're going to take an ad break, and then we will be back to yell about this goofily constructed team a little bit more. So I want to tell you about our friends at Untuck It. Have you ever seen an untucked button-down shirt, or have you ever worn one? They look as terrible as the Sixers do in late-game situations. And why is that? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt that's actually designed to be worn untucked. Dress shirts that fit right are hard to find for me. I'm tall, I'm kind of skinny, and they just don't really make clothes for people like me. But thankfully, with more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores around the country. There is a brick-and-mortar store in Center City, Philadelphia on uh, Walnut Street, if you guys Great are interested in that. Great plug from Seamus. There you go. You can choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. And with Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift 
or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. So back to this Trey Burke thing, Seamus. Yeah. I, I think one of the, like, I am in 100% agree with, agreement with you that they need better Trey Burke before the trade deadline. And they're not getting that from Trey. They just need a different player. Uh, Trey's a third point guard. Trey's a guy you can give you that kind of performance, you know, once every three weeks in the regular season. But they need a guy you can do that, you know, maybe every other game in April and May. Yeah, well, and, and unfortunately, I just think better Trey Burke as a guy that teams don't give up. Yeah, it's, it's exactly playoffs. like why would why would any, if someone had a player like that, they're probably on the playoff race themselves, or it's a young player on a bad team that the team is no isn't willing to give up. So it just highlights the fact that they needed a guy like this, and he really isn't available. And some detractors will say that's Markel Fultz, but you can go f yourself if you're thinking that Markel Fultz was the missing <laughs> piece because you've seen stuff like that. I'm not trying to make. Hey, this by the way, sh- speaking of Markel Fultz. We want to talk about a guy, he actually attempts threes. It takes him forever to load up, and teams are daring him to shoot, but he's actually doing it. So you want to compare him to the frustrating point guard that the Sixers have that they're paying a max deal to. At least Markel has shown a willingness to, like, screw it, I'm going to try. That's the baseline of what we should expect from someone who comes in with a jumper that they're not confident in. That's like, I don't think that... That is a lot to ask from somebody no. like Ben Simmons. No, and I will say this, that uh, the downside of, like, I obviously want Ben to shoot more. I'm also firmly in the camp that him improving as a free throw shooter is much more important than him improving as an outside shooter. But the correlate of that is look how poor poorly Giannis played on Christmas Day where he's just chucking threes and things aren't working and he looks like a disaster and people are leaving him out there to shoot. That's going to happen sometimes with Ben and I guess that's something we're going to have to take our lumps with if he ever becomes or a person who is kind of interested in taking an outside shot. But that's just one thing that I came to. And Ben, last night, so do you think Ben is, what's up with Ben around the rim? What's your take on that? He's just like I, a I mean, finesse player. No, I just don't think he's great there, and I think the problem but is. But shouldn't he be like? He, doesn't he have the tools to be like an unbelievable finisher? And then I, I don't know if it, this is like an old man take or okay boomer me, but it seems like he finishes a little bit more finesse around the rim because he doesn't want to have to go to the free throw line. Yeah, he absolutely should be going to the free throw line more, and I think that's directly connected to why he doesn't finish well when he can create enough separation where he's getting open-ish looks around the rim that's when he tends to have his best games I also think too in Miami you saw he was missing shots early and you can basically write him off as a finisher for the rest of the game once he gets off to a bad start it's the way he the style of play he has is not like okay he's gonna shoot himself out of this one it's either he starts off well and he continues going well he finished six for 12 and even that felt better than it looked out there I would agree there. It didn't look that great. But so like to to tie that to the Trey Burke stuff, the only reason that they have to rely on a Trey Burke and the only reason that they need to get a better Trey Burke is because the the team has been built around the assumption that Ben Simmons can get it done as a high-level point guard in late game playoff situations and they made a bet that and it's the same when they signed him to this max contract too 
they made a bet that said, we see the talent, we see the ability you have as a passer, as a defender, where he's, I don't want it to get lost in the shuffle that he was incredible on Jimmy Butler for most of that game. And most of Butler's damage was done when they could get switches and attack somebody like Furkan or even Al Horford at the end of the game instead of Ben. I think uh, he was great there. But the fact remains that you cannot trust him in late game situations. He's just a complete zero in many instances. And there are very few teams in the league, let alone teams that think that they can contend for a title, who would be able to survive having a guard on the floor who is just absolutely useless on offense at the end of games. And so you're not going to sit him. And so then the question becomes, are you going to take Al Horford out of the lineup to play Trey Burke, which is just an absolutely outrageous but last night logical decision to make? Are you going to do something like that in the playoffs or against better teams moving forward? Like, What is the solution there? The solution to me is that Ben Simmons straight up has to be better or they can't build the team around him and Joel and B. Like it's that simple. And that's what they tried to to bank on. They certainly talked a big game coming into the season thinking, yeah, Ben's gonna shoot. We're gonna put him in the corner and not the dunker spot. And yet here we are. We're after Christmas. It's almost New Year's now. And fundamentally nothing has changed with the way he plays on offense. I really want another guard. <laughs> I keep saying that I've been. I feel like I've been saying this for two years. We need another player who can dribble. It sounds like the most <laughs> simplest thing in the world. But look at Trey Burke, who's not very good. Trey Burke's stat. If you want to get angry at me, take a number. But they need a guy like that, and it's not going to be Trey Burke in the postseason. It just highlights the flaws in this roster construction, where they have these unique taskers out there. And Ben Dietrich made this point on Twitter the other day. I do respect. Uh, Furkin and Mike Scott, and though they are extremely one-dimensional, but they do that. But they both are unconscionable. They don't care. They will shoot the bar no matter what. And they have the rest of the team is pretty timid in terms of that. Tobias is getting better, but still, what it is obviously, uh, Ben is quite timid to take any sort of shot. But they need people. They need an irrational confidence guy. They need a guy who doesn't give a shit. They need a guy who, if he's missed his last four shots, is ready to shoot from thirty feet. They also need one of those guys who can do something other than that. Because I think Mike Scott is that guy. Like, It'd be cool if is, imagine if Mike bad. Scott could dribble. If Mike Scott could dribble, they'd be in, he'd great be in the, shape. He'd be but, in the Hall of Fame, maybe. But unfortunately, that's not who he is, and like that's not an in, it's not an indictment of him. It's just it hurts on this specific team that he's only good at that one thing, and that you can kind of scheme him out of. So, like, here's something I was thinking about last night, right? Like, Al Horford was good in power forward situations in Boston, playing next to Aaron Baines, who's significantly worse than Joel Embiid. He was younger, though. Despite the fact that he's improved. I, I think the difference between that situation and this one is that when you put those two in the front court, the Celtics would often put two and even three guys who can dribble a basketball and shoot at the same time. Like I'm no, I'm not a big lover of Marcus smart shooting threes, but that guy can at least put it on the floor and do some stuff on offense. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, both guys who can create their own shots on offense. I like that's a team situation where you can get away with Al Horford playing power forward. They loaded up on more guys who can dribble basketballs. Not all of them have been good. I mean, they're giving minutes to people like 
Brad Wanamaker, Carson Edwards has not been good despite the fact that he stinks. Sixers fans were worried about the trade involving him. I would I will admit I was a little bit worried that that was going to be the type of guy that that they might need that they let get away, but he hasn't been good. But the point is they can build all these different lineups and weird front courts and weird combinations because they have guys who have basic NBA basketball skills all throughout the rotation. And I don't know how the Sixers for years and years now just keep acquiring these players and building these teams where they're so devoid of like fundamental basketball properties. It's just, it's bewildering to me. Do you think that I'm not trying to make this general broad anti Elton brand statement, but one thing I disliked about his hiring and kind of speaks to my philosophy on front office personnel to begin with is, is Elton too close to the game where he's it's so close to the end of his playing career and he already has relationships with players. Do you think that in signing Al Horford, he assumed he was getting 2013, 2014 Al Horford just based on the fact that he had played against him, played with him and for several years and played against him for majority of his career and he still thinks of Al Horford as this premier elite defensive and offensive key cog whereas you know a general manager who might not necessarily have uh, a basketball player in the NBA background might have been able to read the tea leaves on his aging curve a little bit more no you know I don't know that that would be the problem I would or the issue I would raise there I think all of this ultimately is always going to circle back to Joel and Ben to me. Like sure. those two. Yeah. It's, just this, an, it's just annoying to have that as every conversation. You know what I mean? It's like, what are right, we even going to talk about? Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, when they're building a roster, the first two people that are considered are those guys. And it's, I don't know how you go into the off season and you, you look at those two and then look at the free agent list or, or trade targets or whoever I don't know who the magic bullet is. I don't know that there is a guy that exists in the NBA that just solves all the issues that they have. Now, I don't think that they took the optimal route by signing Horford, certainly. But I think the philosophy was those two are elite defensive pillars. And if we can just build a team that will punch you in the mouth for 48 minutes, which I think they certainly have the potential to be, especially when the rotation shortens, that's a team that might be able to win a title. I don't know that you were going to be able to build some offensive juggernaut or even like a very good offensive team as long as those two are your two best players. Like I've I've broken this down in a bunch of different ways in written form, podcast form, just like shooting the shit with random people. They can't run basic basketball plays a lot of the time because of the presence of those two on the floor. You have a guy who's trying to post up, and you have Ben Simmons who's just lurking in the dunker spot and having guys double off of him basically every possession or at least every other possession. That's hard to build an offense around. It doesn't It doesn't matter who the coach is. doesn't matter who the rest of the personnel is. And so the philosophy, I think, looking at it from a, a bird's-eye view, is that they just wanted to be as good as they could be on defense. And that meant you needed to have a guy who was going to keep your defense as good as possible when Embiid sat. I think Horford makes a lot of sense there. But ultimately, 
this is going to come down to how good that starting five can be. And I just, I don't see how they can make it work on that end unless they just have outlier shooting performances like they did against Milwaukee. I don't, I, I know Milwaukee plays a certain way that you're going to get a lot of open threes against them. So maybe you believe if you get to a series against that team that you'll win that way and you'll just, you'll shoot over your heads as three point shooters. But against most other teams in the league, they're not conceding those shots. And so you're going to have to grind out these 90 to 88 or like 96, 94 wins in the playoffs. And those are just in the variance there is going to be crazy. And I don't think they have the offensive talent or offensive structure that they're, they're going to win those games when they're close in the playoffs. So that's my extremely negative take on on where this team is right now. but Dude, does Miami pose the greatest threat to you in terms of who the Sixers want to face in the Eastern Conference? Um, I don't know who does at this point. Cause I'm I not scared think- of Milwaukee and recency bias, whatever, but I was never scared of them. I've never been scared of them during the entire you know pseudo-rivalry over the last couple of years in terms of two teams that are in the up and up in the Eastern Conference. They've never scared me. Yeah, I, I said to you when we did the like assessment of all the playoff yeah. teams. I don't necessarily, I don't, I wouldn't fear Boston unless they get a better option versus That's center. Embiid. Yeah, I still fear Milwaukee more than you do, if only because Paper I think they were Paper they champs. were particularly bad. Like some of those, if Giannis makes like two or three more shots around the basket that rolled out, that's a, probably a different game than the oh one that we God. saw. Seamus, last year, Joel Embiid spent the majority of possessions on Giannis, and he dropped 40 and 50-plus points in two so We games, got our so. boy Al Horford for to play seven good games the entire season, but they're all going to be in May against them. And, and, again, with the Al Horford thing, it seems like to me that they were focused so much on trying to beat Milwaukee that they didn't think about the fact that they still have to play and beat other teams in the playoffs for that matchup to matter it reminds me of the way teams would like in the western conference or the eastern conference in like 2009 2010 2011 they would get a big man just to play joy howard in the the, but they would end up not even playing joy howard in the playoffs or like even the sixers they had a team that lost to boston and then they came back and they struggled for similar sorts of reasons because covington and, and dario are not big off the dribble guys and so you swap them out for okay we have Jimmy Butler now, and he's going to be the guy that unlocks everything. Well, the fundamental problems with the team are still there. Okay, well, let's go get Tobias Harris. Surely with him on the floor, we're going to be unstoppable. Well, the same problems are still there, and Ben Simmons can't handle the ball in crunch time, and they lose anyway, and the offense gets junked up. Like At a certain point, you can only make so many changes to the team and see the same things happen before you say the underlying cause here – is either you have to believe that the coach is just a complete idiot, which I don't believe. I don't think he's in the top tier of coaches, but I don't think it's like a Jason Kidd situation with Agreed. the Bucks where he's holding them back and all of a sudden they get a new coach and they're just going to be unleashed. Or you have to say Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are the worst possible fits for two young stars next to each other. And, and until or unless you make a move involving one of them, you're going to keep running into problems. And that's ultimately where I fall with this team. I still think built around those two because they're so good defensively that they might be able to win. But I think the degree of difficulty 
is so significant that it's going to make getting there a huge task. And I, I think if I had to bet on it, I'm certainly not betting on it more often than not. What are they going to do? <laughs> what can they do? Like this year, they're pretty much locked into this group. There, there, there are no trades happening. You're not going to right pull off this five team trade to get Drew Holiday like everyone wants. Are you telling me that? Yeah, like there, there's not a. I don't see a major trade coming. I think number one because the the it if it all falls apart in the playoffs this year. Let's just look ahead for a second. If it did fall apart, the guys you have to look at are the centerpieces. Like with, there can only be so many playoff failures involving those two before you say, all right, maybe we have to evaluate this. But Ben Simmons can't be moved really until the summer. Joel Embiid, they're not going to trade because I just I don't know how you could. Trade it, him. it would He's be bad to trade that, your best player. I think. Yeah, that's like you just don't do that. But. In either case, it's a you're not in a good situation. You either are trading the best player on the team or you're trade potentially trading the guy who is the more durable version that if you gave him a roster that was catered to his strengths. You could win forty seven games. No, I don't think that I think they would still be a really good team. Like let's say that Al Horford is just the starting center on the team and Joel and B gets traded for some like Three and D guys. Just say he got traded for Drew Holiday. So your team's Drew Holiday, Ben Simmons, Tobias, Josh Richardson, and Al Horford. How many team? How many games did that team win? They win a good amount of games. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just curious to what you thought. No, I don't. I don't know how many they win, but I still think they'd be a good team. But the end of the day, I don't know how what the ceiling of that team is from a, a playoff perspective. The point here is. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, as long as they're on the same team, are going to continue to inspire these debates, and people can write it off as, you know, the coach is bad, or the effort was bad, or the energy's bad, or they're playing down the competition, whatever it is. This is who they are. This is who they're going to be as long as they're built around these two, unless there is a fundamental change in how one of them plays. Unless Joel Embiid turns into Carl Anthony Towns, where he's shooting like 40% from three, or Ben Simmons is a passable shooter that teams have to respect and that he's a good finisher around the rim. He's a good free throw shooter. Teams are going to live with sending doubles and triple teams at Joel and making someone else beat them. And that's that's the problem with this team construction. You can't just allow – it's not as simple as we give the ball to our best player and he's going to win the game. They can't do that with the way the team is set up. <laughs> I and like it seems ridiculous to be this negative after the Christmas win when they they hit the ceiling that they can get to, but that is that shows you just how far this team can swing and the exact circumstances they need to be that team. They need to have the best defensive performance from Joel Embiid probably all season. They need all their shooters to just hit everything they broke the fucking christmas record for made threes and they still almost let milwaukee back into that game at the end i know there's like a natural letdown there but they're a team that is never it's never going to feel safe with them because the because of the key figures with this team living on the edge you're never going to be able to convince me otherwise just flip the switch
Okay. Do you? But do you honestly think that if I think in the playoffs they can flip the switch? Yes. Like all the, all jokes aside, they're not a team that's built for the regular season. I don't think they're not. But I, I think part of the problem with that is they're they talk all this game about they want to load like Al Horford. The signing is ostensibly to help load manage Joel Embiid, and then he's playing in all these back to backs and and three games and four night situations anyway. It's like why even bother? Maybe they don't know what they're doing. Maybe the team is a mess on the inside. Like we kind of know they are, but don't want to say. Why even bother with a backup plan for Embiid if you don't want to use it? If you're gonna sit there and just let Joel Embiid dictate whenever and however he plays. What the fuck is the point of signing Horford? Yeah, if they're gonna give up, if they're gonna give half-ass effort some games, like I kind of think they did in Orlando, then they should just not even play Embiid. Why even play any of those guys in the first half of back-to-back after smacking the crap out of Milwaukee? Why even suit up that night? And by the way, Joel brought it. He was really, really good in that back-to-back. I mean, he that's sh- probably he the best he's the- ever played in a back-to-back before he had what, like thirty-five? Yeah, yeah, thirty-five, and it was a, it was a game where he made great read up until the last couple minutes which we already got into he made great reads out of doubles he didn't force shots up he willed himself to the free throw line like that is the pinnacle of Embiid on offense that is exactly the style of play and he, he took just enough threes to keep them honest he made a couple he used the face up game he posted up smaller guys and he made the best reads out of double he was as good as he was against doubles as he was against Miami the first time so it's not like you're not going to sit there and say oh they shouldn't have played Embiid when he showed you I'm there to play no I, I, I would have pl- played him great. against Miami I meant Orlando if they're going to half-ass right. it in Orlando but that's yeah exactly like why bother you go out and you sign Horford to this massive contract for a reason and it's to protect Joel and get him to the playoffs well if you're not doing that all you all you accomplish with the signing is to complicate life for Joel when he's on the court. And these lineups with DMB to Horford front court are just brutal. Like Horford was a minus twenty five in the game against Miami. That I, I honestly felt like it was worse when he was on the floor. And it's not like Al Horford suddenly just became bad at basketball. Right? Like he didn't come here and it's not I like, don't know. He sleeper he, Orlando Scandrick level sleeper cell? I don't think Al Horford is that sort of guy. I I believe in his character. Or maybe he's like Harvin Morrison, where he's just so low-key because he has evil deeds brewing. Yeah, so I I don't know. You're not going to touch that one. No, I am not. I was going to say shit. I don't know. Al's boring as fuck. It's like we made jokes about it forever, and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna actually see like Al Horford like do the little things." And I'm like, "It's boring when he's out there." I think Joel doesn't like playing with him, to be honest with you. Well, even like, the, I don't know that I would say that. I think that those two probably seem as though they they like each other. It could be they like they like each other and not want to play next to him. I think the the thing is, and I we're circling back to what I said towards the beginning of the podcast. All the things that he's good at, except for defense he basically can't do or use on this team there you get no utility out of him and you a lot of times on offense he just gets turned into a standstill shooter it's a it's a different version of the problem that the Rockets have building around James Harden where they want all they want to spread the floor and let him like work his magic and to be like a an ISO guy all game and it makes sense to do that but that means guys that can potentially do more are relegated to just catch and shoot 
three-point guys, right? Like James Ennis, who has not been very good lately, was in Houston and just looked like dog shit for long stretches of time because all he would do is stand in the corner. And, like, they're not empowering him to offensive rebound. They're not empowering him to to dribble at all and, like, get to the basket. And he looks like crap in that kind of situation. You bring him here where the Sixers say, okay, we want you shooting from the corner, but we also want you to crash the boards and, and make a difference as an offensive rebounder. We trust you with with tougher defensive assignments that he can he can take on sometimes. We, we'll let you – run some dribble handoffs and and maybe even like the the odd pick and roll every other game or so and he can do some of that stuff and so Al Horford is in a a much lesser part of that sort of deal they're they're not the D'Antoni Rockets but he's being taken away from the areas where he's always been good like you don't get to see him as a short roll passer and pick and rolls because they can't run pick and rolls with Ben Simmons where that would be where you can really use Horford in that way they can't use him as a post-up passer because you're not going to over post up Horford when Joel Embiid's on the team you're not going to over post up Horford when Tobias Harris is a better scorer down there like I it so many things about this team just don't make sense and they they undercut themselves before they even take the floor and that's ultimately what it comes down to for me want to get to loser of the week and wrap it up yeah after i just spent like 40 whatever minutes just complaining about how berserk this team let's end on a lighter note is. all right so we will end on a lighter note seamus who do you believe the loser of the week is let me get his name up so i know i'm saying it correctly i believe his name is matt velasquez uh, yeah uh, i wasn't positive on the last name so give me a, i want to have like the official tweet up of what he said and everything give me like 13 seconds well i have the tweet up as we speak so So, there was uh, a milwaukee bucks reporter on christmas day that right after the sixers did lineup introductions tweets this quote philly fans yell sucks after every bucks player is introduced i did that Villanova product Dante DiVincenzo got a few scattered cheers and claps. I boot harder for him because he's a Nova guy. Giannis drew the strongest response. And unlike most places, it wasn't positive. And then after that, he says, they famously booed Santa in this city, so it makes sense. And let me just say. I fucked his day up. What a fucking loser crybaby take that fucking loser go back to the midwest drink your fucking warm (laughs) cup of milk and act like it's fucking fancy you fucking loser oh man a lot of f-bombs from seamus today no it just like go fuck yourself dude (laughs) so i don't i fucking loser i've never met matt Velasquez. he should hang out with that dc washington reporter who like took a picture of the eagles player giving a middle finger and that was a crybaby about that. Those two should go hang out and be best friends and be fucking losers together. I think the one, the thing that stood out to me that killed me the most was, unlike most places, the reception to Giannis wasn't positive. Uh, I'm sorry. I should have, like, gave the biggest round of applause to the other team's best player. Like, I wanted him to f- beat us. Like, shut- you want him to throw a tea party for the guy who might be shut the biggest up. obstacle to an Eastern Conference? Matt, you bald loser. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. You're in a road arena. He should have got fired. He should get fired. All right. Settle down, dude. Journalism is a tough industry, as you know. I'm I'm well aware. We don't need to be firing people because they had a bad take. But 
just an absolute loser opinion. And to bring in Santa Claus, like, oh, they booed Santa. On Christmas Day. (laughs) Come on, dude. Just an absolute crock of shit and then and then brew hoop i don't even know who runs that twitter or, or blog or whatever yeah anymore. i used to know and, and like used to be that, what was guys. that guy's name was it fred something or am i making that up the guy who did it forever frank uh frank madden and then there frank was martin. steve on horn was there there were a few other guys that i i liked from there and he said uh, he said oh he deleted this tweet i think because i'm coming it's an outlier dirty plays dirty looking fans merry christmas it says like i pulled it up and it says tweets aren't loading right now so i think he either like hit the replies or deleted the tweet and i said yeah, talking about dirty fans in philadelphia meanwhile fuck the fucking police in milwaukee are beating up the players on the bucks and have a history of being one of the most racist cities in the country yeah they they deep fry literally <laughs> they probably deep fry their coffee in milwaukee and wisconsin who's talking about disgusting well you know why kareem abdul jabbar left the bucks for the lakers in the 70s because th- there were like no black people in milwaukee and he didn't want to live there anymore. And that's they're Good. notorious for they don't they are not a hospitable place for NBA players. And the only reason that this is a hot take, but the only reason that they actually like Giannis Antetokounmpo is they they view him as like the exceptional immigrant instead of just like a normal person. And yeah. they treat him as this. Like, yeah. He's like a fascinating. Quote unquote. He's one of the good ones. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all bullshit. And if he was any less good as a basketball player, they would turn on him in a second. Yeah. I can't wait to see all, see all the racist comments when he leaves the team. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of jersey burning. A lot of nonsense. Basically, the, the moral of the story here is that that was an awful, awful tweet from Matt Velasquez of the Journal Sentinel. And that if you get mad or think it's a big deal that fans in opposing cities boo rival teams and players, you should not be covering sports. That's what it comes down to. There's a cell with his name on it to be shared with Nate Duncan. Oh, yeah. By the way, shout out to Rick Carlisle for just absolutely clowning on him in a press conference on Saturday night. Great, great part of the NBA slate. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, all things considered, a couple bad losses, but... Two great moments in the media. So who who's the real loser here? Matt, Matt Velasquez. <laughs> uh, all right. On that note, after we just spent a couple minutes trashing the city. It felt good. It felt good. I feel a little bit better. Trashing Milwaukee, despite the fact that the Sixers already trashed Milwaukee themselves. and Shithole, shit as Joel Embiid would say. Yeah, well, I'm not going to touch that one. I, I can I, do all... I have no need to have nice relationships with anyone within the organization, with other media members. I can kind of do my own thing and say that where you can. That's yeah, why I'm well, here. The bottom Begin line to, is I have no the, reason to protect the cops in Milwaukee who you're the, the shit yings, out of Sterling Brown. So. You're the ying to my yang, Kyle. On that note, thank you everybody for joining us once again. Hopefully next time we record a podcast, Seamus and I pick a better time to discuss the team most likely it'll be after another loss so until then hit us with some more subscribes if you can give us some five-star ratings tell your friends ask us questions but definitely don't complain and we will talk to you soon happy new year